When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. According to the movies, maritime law pretty much turns the open seas into the wild, wild west where anything goes. It's everyone for themselves and claiming dibs seems to be a viable excuse for theft and plundering. Not sure how much that would hold up in court, but strap in as we put Ghost Ship on trial and see if the jury decides that this movie is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies and a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. There are some scenes in movies where you know the scene because you've seen it on way too many Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds, sorry, X feeds. We'll, we'll just say social media feeds. I guarantee you, even if you have not seen the movie, you've probably seen at least one scene from it. We're talking about one of those movies today because we're talking about Ghost Ship. And here to join me on this pleasure cruise of an episode is remixer, photographer, and entrepreneur, Mr. Alex Whistle. Alex, welcome to the show. How you doing? I am doing great. Okay. <laughs> so let me explain. For those of you who don't know what the hell I'm talking about, there is a movie out there called Ghost Ship that we are about to talk about. And it has one of the most probably iconic and memeable uh, opening scenes in recent horror movie history. Now, I'm going to ask you, Alex, did you know about this scene before watching the movie? Or is this one of those things where you saw the movie first and then the scene just happened to be part of it? Oh, I definitely seen the movie first. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. This was a first watch for me. And but I had seen that opening scene. And if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, but if you haven't seen the movie, uh, a go watch the damn film. But as we get to talking about it, I guarantee you, you have probably seen it posted somewhere because it is. It's one of those scenes where it's probably more famous than the actual movie itself, or at least the rest of the movie. And the funny thing is, most of the main cast isn't even in this opening scene. Like, that's all you needed. That That's it. You could have rolled credits at the end of the opening scene instead of the opening credits, and people would be like, this is the greatest movie ever. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we get into this, before we deep dive into Ghost Ship, it is time to take this macabre feature and trailerize it. Cast adrift on the open seas. 
one luxury cruise liner is your one-way ticket to hell. Unless you're really good at doing extreme limbo and can avoid the cable of death. Now, one crew is looking for the salvage of a lifetime when they find the derelict remains of the Antonio Granza. But they'll get much more than they bargained for. Gabriel Byrne and Juliana Margulies star in a movie that will have you never wanting to take a cruise again, never want to eat a can of beans again, and really make you question why anyone never gets the heck out of anything even remotely haunted. Seriously, people, read the room, get off the boat, and start swimming. It's not that hard. Ghost Ship, rated 18A for aquatic apparitions. Nice, I really like that. <laughs> okay, so I mentioned in the trailer rise the cable of death. And if you haven't figured it out by now, the opening scene to this movie is basically this whole little party on the deck, you know, the little the captain's welcome, if you will, until everyone is cut in half by some random cable. And then that's how you open the movie. That's how you open the movie, and then it just goes from there. Like if you're looking for decapitations and slicing in half, we'll get to the CGI in a bit. But I mean, that's one hell of a way. It's, it's like the reverse Infinity War, where rather than kill everyone at the end, you kill everyone at the beginning. Then you're left to deal with everything else. Like how, to start a movie off like this, how freaking ballsy is that? Honestly, so... At the time, I didn't even know of this movie. And seeing that specific scene, I was like, this is insane. Like, we are definitely in for a ride. And this movie never once disappointed me. Even rewatching it before doing this episode never disappointed me. I even bought the re-release when it came out. Like, it's it still holds up. Yeah, no, this is one of those films where if you love it, you love it. And if you don't, well, then you're missing out. But let's get into who is in this film. The movie stars Juliana Margulies, Gabriel Byrne, Carl Urban. Yeah, Judge Dredd, Carl Urban, Isaiah Washington, Ron Eldard, Desmond Harrington, Emily Browning, and Alex Dimitriadis. And I, I apologize if I mess up any names. Idiot. Canadian. In a basement. With a microphone. That's me. However, there is an almost starting in this one. In the role of Murphy, as played by Gabriel Byrne, it was originally supposed to be Brian Cox, he of secession fame, but then Cox went on to star in The Ring and Gabriel Byrne took over the role. The movie is directed by Steve Beck. This is the last film he would ever direct. Previously to this, he had directed 13 Ghosts, but it was that, and then this, and that was it. However, it was almost directed by Rennie Harlan. Now, apparently, Joel Silver, the producer of this, offered the film to Harlan, and he was like, yeah, no, which apparently made Silver so mad that he never said he would never work with Harlan again. So all this over freaking ghost ship. However, if you want to know the reception of this film you need look no further than the 2003 Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, where it was nominated for Worst Film, lost to Fear.com. 
it had a budget of $20 million. Domestically, it made $30 million. Worldwide, $71 million. So you know what? Made bank. It mm -hmm. made bank. Now, admittedly, it's a, you're kind of graded on a curve because at $20 million, you're probably going to make bank. But, you know, when it was released on the October 25th, 2002 weekend, it debuted at number three with $11.5 million. The number one film that week was the debut of Jackass the Movie, which brought in $22 million, so double the amount of Ghost Ship. I don't know what's more disheartening. The fact that a, like a decent film like this only pulled in $11.5 or that Jackass, the movie, A, exists, but B, brought in $22 freaking million. <laughs> it goes to show you, it just goes to show you what America's mind was at the time, you know? The f*** is wrong with you people? It's Jackass, <laughs> the movie. Ah. <sighs> I pray. I pray for humanity. <laughs> but the reason why we are here, and not just because Alex said, hey, do you want to watch Ghost Ship? And I'm like, oh, yeah, the, the film with the cable of death. Yeah, I'm into that. Is the critics. Over at Metacritic, this film has a Metascore at 28. And over at Rotten Tomatoes, the tomatometer is 15%. And the audience score, I am surprised at the audience score at 37%. This film, and I'm going to get to our social media or some of our social media shout outs right away. Before we even get to breaking this film down, I need to, to bring this up, okay? The Movie Duel podcast chimed in with amazing opening scene and some decent acting talent. It's pretty fun, but takes itself too seriously in the latter part of the film. That song from that movie podcast chimed in with, it's all about that opening scene. Our good friend Philip over the Adapted to Scream podcast said, Bond movie opening credit scene, blah for the rest. Yeah, like, honestly, this opening scene is everything for this film, and yet the audience score is that low. So I'm going to ask you, Alex, before we get into the breakdown of this here, mm -hmm. did this film shoot its load too soon? No. I don't think so. I it was a roller coaster ride for me for sure, especially the first time seeing it. I was so young and being an adult, like sure there there's some standout things within the movie that we won't talk about just yet. But um no, I think it still holds holds itself up firmly on two legs. I mean, if if you're going to start the film like that, you got to carry it the rest of the way. And I think this film does, but let's get into the breakdown of it here. We're going to start with Juliana Margulies. Now, it should be pointed out that apparently she's not a fan of this film because when she signed up for it, it was still, I guess, in the embryonic stage of the script and whatnot. And it was more of a psychological horror film as opposed to what it turned out to be. And she has, quote unquote, disavowed the film. Kind of a shame, you know, from my perspective, because I think she did a very good job in here, but how was Juliana Margulies as Epps for you? I thought she was a, I thought this is going to be my opinion for a lot of the characters here. The people playing these characters did a fantastic job for each of their own characters. Um, when she came out with her show, I am blanking on the name right now, but she plays like that presidential sort of like, show oh the good wife the, the good, good wife no no the good fight 
yeah, I saw that and I was like, hey, ghost ship. Like, I see that face and I immediately tie it into ghost ship. So to hear that, you know, she really doesn't like that movie. She played that character fantastically. It, a lot of leading lady roles, you know, there's always that like moment of weakness that like, then they build up the strength and come out on top. This, she played a strong character the whole movie. No weakness, just straight up strength, intelligence. Um, there was um, like sweet moments within the movie with uh, other characters. I You just couldn't get any better than that. Like, honestly, great, great job. I mean, if you're looking at this film like a horror film, then you kind of have to look for the the horror tropes. And let's be honest, not only is she the only girl on the crew, she's going to be the final girl. It happens. It's a horror movie. There's a final girl. It happens. Unless it's Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. But we're not going to talk about that film today because, <laughs> holy crap, still not over that one. The thing is, and I'm going to warn our viewers that if you have not seen ghost ship there is a very real chance that we may spoil this film for you however it's 24 years old if you haven't seen it by now that's on you it was on me until i watched it and now i've watched it and now i'm gonna it up for the rest of you so that's that's what happens when you wait 22 years but the thing is in this film the whole thing is about you know good people and bad people and what happens to them yes it does it kind of plays on the, the 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 seven deadly sins if you will um she is just as into the gold found on the ship as everybody else how does that make her any more decent than everybody else now admittedly admittedly the connection between her and little katie is played by emily browning in this um that's a good aspect for her but it's not like she isn't in this for the money as well it almost feels like the gold is there where it's like hey if you want to get rich you're gonna suffer the consequences she even says yeah I'm, i actually no i i correct myself because she says i just want to get off this boat so maybe just maybe she's the first person in horror movie history to want to get the f out of the place that's haunted Bravo, Julietta Margulies. But that's the thing. Do you think she was a good enough person to avoid the fate of everybody else? I think so. You know, she um, she plays a little bit of the, um, like an angel figure, essentially working <laughs> with the ghosts and just trying to figure out how can she save her crew rather than how can she get this money off the boat? So I think in the end, the good conscious is what's essentially saving her. Yeah. I mean, she considers the crew to be her family. She considers, mm -hmm. you know, like, she, yes, she does have 33% stake in the company. Yes, she is financially invested into this enterprise. But when push comes to shove, she just wants to get her crew out of there. So I guess that's the the saving grace for her in that you know, at some point she's willing to, you know, cut her losses and worry about the people. Whereas everyone else is like, no, give me the gold. Give me the gold. Mm -hmm. I, I, I liked her in this. I really did like her in this. And the other thing too, is I like that it's not some 
you know, it's not bogged down with some unnecessary love triangle or love story or whatever. It's just, she's one of the crew. She's one of the boys. She's probably the most mature of everyone on the boat, minus Gabriel Byrne. So it makes sense that she's also got the the largest stake, probably aside from Gabriel Byrne's character, than anybody else. So that all makes sense. It makes sense that she's the business person, that she's the one that, you know, when Murphy probably decides to retire, she's the one who's going to take over the company. No doubt. No doubt. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. But since we're talking about Murphy as played by Gabriel Byrne, I mean, first of all, I freaking love Gabriel Byrne, right? But how good was he in this? Murphy is definitely one of those standout characters for me uh, in this movie. I think I can't see anybody else playing Murphy. I love the accent. I love the the look. The age is right. The For lack of better words, the wear. <laughs> on the actor is perfect uh the the mannerisms the you know i know obviously you have to follow a script but like it i believe that murphy actually had knowledge on all all the boat stuff and you know his intentions were there up to a certain point you know when they found the gold you could tell like okay like this is i'm ready to retire <laughs> you know and it all goes to shit, you know? <laughs> I mean, I love the, the fact that you pointed the the wear on Gabriel Byrne. I mean, yes, he is flawed. He is broken. It's almost like he's not at home unless he's on the water. Like, he is one of those characters that really he is his job. That's pretty much it. And while he leans on his crew and cares about his crew, if they die, he'll get more crew. That's kind of what it feels like. Aside from Epps. Epps seems to be the one that that becomes more family to him, which makes it even more shocking when he has that possession type scene. You know, when he thinks he sees somebody else's aside from Epps, which again, I warned you all, we're gonna spoil the shit out of this film. 
Spoilers, Legomofo. The thing is, though, is that rather than go full crazy and start screaming everything out and whatnot, he's still very calm. Even in his in his crazier moments, he's still calm, grizzled man of the sea. Like, it's a very measured performance. And, you know, this isn't long after Usual Suspects, so this is still, like, prime Gabriel Byrne time. I think even, too... Even if you were to make this or remake this film today, I think it'd still put Gabriel Byrne in this. Like, he would still be able to bring in and probably be even more grizzled, and I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. But the nice thing is, it's not like he's some, you know, old and weathered seaman who's been on the again, sea man. Not seaman, sea man. One... <laughs> I really hope the captions that are on the podcast pick that up because otherwise people are going to sit there and go, what the hell did he just say? (laughs) Man of the ocean is he. That's where I'll stick with it. But the thing is, it's not like he's your typical old white beard captain who can't really physically do the job. He's still fit enough and it makes sense for him to be the captain of the ship. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I'm saying this. Carl Urban as Munder, which as soon as I realized it was Carl Urban, I was like, oh, crap. Nice to see him off tour, I guess, from the band. I don't know. Like, that's kind of how he looks to this. But how was Carl Urban for you? So this was my first experience with Carl. And um, I'm a huge fan of the Doom movie, the one with The Rock. Mm-hmm. And he plays in that movie and I love the crap out of that movie. And then eventually I was rewatching Ghost Ship actually when I ended up getting the new version. And I'm staring at his face and I had that like, oh, moment like this is that guy like Ghost Ship, man. And then I and then I seen like a bunch of other his other projects as well. Like that character is peak like the comedy relief of this movie you have all these insane situations and he's just taking the piss out of everything um one of my favorite scenes my absolutely favorite scenes um is he thinks he's getting pranked on by epps and lures her to the freezer and scares the out of her in the in the meat freezer that is so funny to me. Uh, close second would be when he almost falls through that floor and he goes, I just my pants. Like, <laughs> same, same. Like, that jump scare also made me my pants. Thank you for that. <laughs> and the funny thing is, he doesn't really break character at all. Like, even after falling through the floor, right, the whole pants thing, even yeah. when, you know, he, he's... He's sitting with Dodge and they're eating the food that they think is food and it's not. And by the way, if you got an upset stomach, do not watch that scene because when you realize what they're eating, you're going to sit there and go. It's going to sound like your stomach is talking to you in slow motion. But the funny thing is, this isn't the first time we've talked about Carl Urban on this show because, of course, he was in the Chronicles of Riddick and I freaking liked him in that, even though he was underutilized and underrated in that but i mean we're talking about the guy who is dread right Mm. we're talking about the guy who's bones in star trek 
We're talking yeah. about the guy who's Scourge in Thor, right? Wrap your head around all of that and now picture him like he should have been in Dazed and Confused. That's a good that's a good comparison there. Yeah, I like that. And I think the thing is in the moment, like if you were to watch this when it came out in 2002, you don't have all of those points of reference for Carl Urban, right? He makes sense with that performance as the goofy guy of the crew who doesn't really take things seriously even though he wills to get things done, but he handles it more in a immature kind of way. Like He's that guy who didn't grow up and didn't want that office job responsibility when he probably saw this opportunity to live a life on the sea and, you know, as a salvage crew guy and really not live by anyone else's rules except for the boss. That's mm. that's his character. And you don't have any other frame of reference for the Carl Urban performance. Now, in hindsight, it's fascinating to watch those early days of his career and go, Oh crap, he was the goofy guy, but it it works in this for him. Like it just goes to show the range that Carl Urban has over the length of his career and it's quite impressive. Yeah, uh truly the jack of all trades to see him go from you know <laughs> being the crew guy to dread, you know, that's a huge leap even from that to doom like, you know, you're killing monsters on Mars with the rock and you were just fixing up a hole in the ship. Yeah. And, and we were actually talking about doom on the grading on a curve special for video game movie adaptation. So if you want a good chuckle, go listen to that episode. Cause yeah, we talked to the piss out of some of these films and that was one of them. But I, one of the problems I have with this though, is that aside from wanting the gold and aside from being a bit of a prankster, to apps he doesn't really show any other sins like some of the other characters did you know so why did he have to die if the if the entire thing is people are dying because they are unworthy and they're tainted and they're they they've committed sin aside from being an idiot what did munder ever do I think this movie, where this movie kind of dips production-wise, I guess you would say, is not every character has full development. And I think that's one of the characters where you see, like, this is the quick story of his character. He's the goofball. He wants the gold. He likes to eat. He's a bit of a stoner. He's a bit of an idiot. Let's run with that. But there's no true backstory or development within the movie to show what what could have triggered that uh, that reasoning behind his death. And I will say his death was probably one of the most brutal ones I've ever seen in movies. Straight up. Oh, no, it was as far as horror movie deaths go in this movie. Mm -hmm. He got one of the better ones. I will say, though, and I just want to go back to Gabriel Byrne for a second. I actually preferred that his death was off screen rather than have this freak out moment of Epps trying to save him. I mm-hmm. like the fact that it, he was exactly where he was left. And then he's dead. And yep. you know, we didn't have to go through that 
long, ragged, you know, oh, please don't die. What do I do? Like, no, 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 no. He's just dead. Yeah. We already know because we're at that point where we understand the motive of, you know, of the of ferryman. And yes, we're going to get to ferryman in a bit there, but we already know that Gabriel Byrne has crossed way too many lines, right? Horror movie rules. You drink, you die, right? He drank, even though he doesn't drink, but he drank. Yeah. You we did. didn't, we didn't need to see his death because he, that had already been set up. But the thing is Munder's only real guilt is that he tried to stop the boat from doing its job. And that's pretty much all. All it's the only thing he did wrong. He was in the way. He was in the way, and then he got crushed out of the way. <laughs> Ron Eldart, who played Dodge, Munder's buddy. It feels like the two of them kind of grew up together, and then joined this job. It, it feels like Dodge took the job, and Munder tagged along because he wouldn't know what to do without Dodge. That's kind. It's like Beavis and freaking Butthead with these two. Yeah. I do, I do question though. The whole Dodge has a thing for Epps thing feels kind of thrown into the last minute because it it wasn't really explored throughout the rest of the movie. It felt like you needed envy as a sin for Dodge, so you had a reason to kill Dodge. Otherwise, what's the point of Ferriman in the in the whole mythology that they've created? Because, again, aside from greed and the gold, that's really... Like, if you put a big box of gold in front of someone, you're damn skippy they're going to want to bring it home. So, aside from being there to take something, and maritime law, maritime law, which apparently is a thing, I, I, I don't get it. I understand you needed a reason to kill Dodge, because... Everyone's got to die. Mm-hmm. And yes, he tried to get in Ferriman's way. So again, the same thing with Munder. But did that feel thrown in too much? Like, like just, just like unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary. I think, I, I don't know if I'm going to like ruffle some feathers here for some people, but I feel like that character was in a way unnecessary. Like he was... In the way, sure, but I feel like he was just put there to be like that extra that extra person. We don't know much about him. There's no character development, really. Um, like you mentioned, he's very much like best friends, brother sort of relationship. And and that that's the end of it. I think throwing that that whole love connection was definitely a stretch. And it's, you have no, nowhere in this movie do you have that sort of like, oh yeah, he definitely has thing, has a thing for Epps. Not, not once in the movie. So not even the, not even in the deleted scenes. I'm going to put that out there. So yeah, it, it was almost as if, and the thing is, it's not even that it was really Dodge at that point. But you have to think that that came from somewhere that Ferryman kind of picked up on. Or if Ferryman had tried it, you know, looking like Dodge, and if Epps had called him out on it, then different story, right? But it's just one of those things where 
it didn't make sense. And there there is more you can do with this film and with this script. I do understand that. Munder deserved better. Dodge, a little bit, not as much as Munder, but still deserved a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I also think that his death gave me death blue balls. Like, <laughs> honestly, is there such a like, thing? <laughs> everybody, like, listen, the captain's death was perfect, right? Like you mentioned, you don't see him die. He dies off screen. That I would not change. But the fact is, you don't see this guy struggle. You got, you don't see nothing. You don't see a, a, a potential death, nothing, just nothing. He's just there, and then he's not. Death blue balls. That that needs to now go into the horror movie lexicon of unsatisfying deaths that needed to be a little bit more. <laughs> Isaiah Washington, who played Greer, the guy who was basically taken by the siren song. I actually really liked him in this until they tapped into that. Here's the guy who feels, you know, counter to Dodge and Munder, you know, the family man, right? The guy who's got something at home to work for. He has a reason to be on the ship. The reason is to take care of his of of his wife. And then the siren song, well, that makes sense. They're on the sea. I, I get that. I understand that. You know, and the fact that there was the the singer who was kind of the the siren and and her spirit. But this is where the other deaths don't feel as good because if the idea of ghost ship is to play on people's sins and then to, you know, ferry them to hell because they are sinners, Greer is a sinner because he was said, even said he was going to give him because it's not cheating if it's not real, right? So all of a sudden you have to think that he has sin on his mind so that is what the tipping point is but in doing that makes munders and dodge's death less explainable unless you had something where it revealed something from their past or why they're like why was someone like munder on the ship why was someone like dodge on the ship what was their home life what was their you know their their land life like were they escaping from something? I don't know. Maybe we needed a bit more of that explanation, but Greer's death means the others need to be further explained. But in this movie, his performance, how was he for you? Oh, I love Greer. I was, I was, it was sad to see him go. Honestly. Um, just, um, I, I, I think the character was played very well. I think he was like like you said, the very the a family man. He played his role quite seriously. Like there was a lot of serious moments. He was able to joke around. But um you could tell that him too, he didn't want to really be on that ship until the gold was found. And then, you know, it, it, it played I think everybody got that like sin notch of, you know, wanting the gold. At one point or another, everybody wanted that gold. So it's just trying to figure out the other little detail to push them over the edge. And like you mentioned, like cheating was was his sin, right? Because like the the ghost, super hot, super beautiful, super naked, uh, lured him to his death. 
which I think is cheating. Like no pun, no, no pun intended here, but I think that's cheating to have a sexy naked ghost lure you to your death. That's not fair. I would die, but it plays, it plays into lust, which then is one of the deadly sins. And then justifies Greer's death. We just needed more for some of the other deaths, like Alex Dimitriadis. And again, I apologize if I messed up the name. I try. I try. As Santos, like the engineer, he felt pretty freaking disposable. Yeah. That that whole character, I feel like, because like we mentioned, spoiler, he was the first one to die. and seeing his death be so quick and it wasn't even on the ship it was on his own dinghy boat like the tugboat it it made no sense to me to kill off a character that fast what was what was his sin you know like wanting to take the gold and fix up his car being in love with his car like i don't know like you don't know what he did with that car Mm. I love you, Carl. <laughs> yeah, let me polish you a little more time there. Oh, <laughs> right in the gas hole. What? <laughs> and now we know how Michael Bay made the Transformers films. But anyways, anyways, <laughs> we now move on to Desmond Harrington, who of course was Ferriman. Which get it, Ferriman, the ferryman. The, the, there's a level of writing that needs to move up a notch here. But this is also one of those very decent characters in that you ha- once you know what's going on and then you go back and you watch it a second time, you start to notice the little things that should have been the giveaway, but they aren't, but they weren't until you realize what's going on. Like it's smart the way it plays out, I think, with him. Yeah, like um first time i watched it obviously i knew nothing of the movie so my first watch through when we got that you know confirmation like this is the guy you know this is the problem i was blown away my mind was just my jaw was dropped my mind was blown and then watching it again you can yeah like you said you can see those subtle little hints uh that lead into like slight predictability but damn the character like even now, rewatching it, I have a hard time identifying what kind of being this person is. Is he alive? Is he dead? Is he a spirit? Is he a alien? Is he a, you know, what is he? Who is he? And then just his development going further and further. When, when one person dies after another, you can see his character getting a little bit more serious a little bit more impatient, a little bit more angry, you know, and then just the, um, the, uh, the backstory seeing like how it was back in 1955 or 1965, whenever the original accident happened and seeing his interaction on that boat with those people and seeing how he affected the crew and whatnot. Like it is crazy, uh, how good this, uh, the actor played that character. Yeah. And it adds that level of, not macabre, but it definitely adds a a fantasy to the horror side of things. You know, because it is 
you know, it's steepled in the idea of the ferryman who, you know, brings people off across the river Hades. And, you know, there is more to this story. It was the scene where they find the gold and everyone's looking at it like slack jawed. And he starts like weirdly laughing and you're just like, okay, maybe he's just super, super excited and doesn't know how to control himself. But that's when you realize afterwards, it's like, oh, we clearly got to his favorite part of the way he deals with salvage crews. And this is just him getting excited. Absolutely. Uh, I would, that's, that's the point out. I really like too. you could see that he's getting excited. You could tell that he's like, damn, this, this worked again. Like they're, they don't know what they're in for type of laugh. And yeah. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. One more to talk about here. Emily Browning, who played Katie Harwood, uh, the kid who... So survived the the cable of death and then didn't survive the rest of it you know creepy kid with an accent you know the, the kind you usually want in some kind of ghost story she's I, I the performance not emily browning her, the actress but the performance is very eerie and very creepy and almost tonally perfect for this i agree uh the first time we see her well the first time that we properly see her she doesn't say a word. She's staring at Epps through the hole in the floor. And just that silence. I don't know if it's the camera angle, if it's the music mixed with her look, but she fits that ghostly uh, description. Like, that is perfect. I am so happy, by the way, that this movie did not make ghosts translucent or anything like that. Like, this was... This was amazing. Um, I love that she, despite being dead and stuck on the ship, is just trying to help them. And what makes Epps see them? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I will say there's an aspect to Emily Browning's performance in this that reminds me a lot of Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense in that... Mm. You're not quite sure what's going on. You're not quite sure, like, if she survived, like, what the heck is happening. I love that for her in this. I love the fact that she made Kitty Harwood, you know, an interesting character, not just some kind of ghost. You know, she, Katie had a purpose, Mm -hmm. almost to weed out the good people from the bad. And the fact that, with Epps able to escape and stop Ferryman, Katie actually gets to be free from the boat. But there's the other thing too. 
if the boat is taking the souls to hell of the sinners, mm-hmm. what did Katie do to end up on the boat? Like what was her sin that yeah. caused her to be collected? Mm. Like, oh, kids bored. Bored is sin. No. <laughs> be selective. Now, mm. I get that her end as shown in the the flashback scene is different than others in that she's just a victim and she died and all that. So maybe that's why she's seen is that she's not a sinner, but she was killed on the boat by those who were sinning. So maybe it's one of those things where she's not necessarily going to help, but she's staying on the boat to try to help the good people. I could see that, but it wasn't really explained. But as no. far as you know, Emily Browning's performance, spot on. This film was made basically as an idea to be the shiny meets the Titanic. In that, you know, you have this situation where people are just starting to, you know, lose their mind and go crazy on a boat instead of a hotel. I was getting some serious event horizon vibes from this film, in that it feels like one thing and then it feels like something else by the end of it. Obviously, with that opening scene, it felt like more of a schlock horror film, and then it turned into something more atmospheric and and creepy. Did it feel, after the start, that it felt like an entirely different film? Yeah, I agree. Um, Watching this, obviously, you know, you see the word ghosts, you see a skeleton on the cover, you see all these people dying in the intro, you're like, Wow, I am in for one of the most scariest horror movies ever. And then the further it goes in, the more sci-fi it turns. For lack of better terminology there, but it's very... Like, I want to steal your word, atmospherical, right? Because it... It... it, it um it doesn't rely on the deaths per se, but more on the backstory and how to, how to save everybody and how to, you know, it's very much an adventure or a, a heroic movie than a horror movie in a way. It, I think it's just horror because everybody's dying and it's ghosts, you know? I think there's the other thing too, you know, and to quote uh, the Scarif podcast who chimed in as well, is it a ghost? Is it a ship? Would like to find out. And that is very much the question because they stumble upon the boat and it seems to kind of go in and out of radar. So is the ghost a ship or is it still a derelict? You know, like there again, there are inconsistencies in the script and it felt like the script needed to be they needed to decide one way or the other what the story was going to be. If it was going to be a literal ghost ship, then you could argue that, okay, there's someone on the ship who's part of the the ship's ghostly experience and it's basically a bermuda triangle type thing where people who stumble upon it are doomed to be doomed but if it's just a ship and you know ferryman is using this derelict ship as his portal to hell that does that needed to be flushed out a lot because it, it doesn't know i think what it needs to be the other one I want to bring up here is a comment from the Gentle Dorks podcast. The movie as a whole wasn't what it could have been. 
It started with a fantastic opening shot and really didn't keep that momentum going. Not a terrible movie, though, and I completely agree. This is not a terrible film by any stretch of the imagination. But I want to propose something. Because we have that opening scene. And then we have you know, the, the very creepy atmospheric style horror. And they did a phenomenal job with those sets. Like everything felt eerie and claustrophobic in, in every scene. And then you had that flashback that Katie shows Epps. So, and then of course the rest of the thing, that's where it falls into the, you know, boat to hell kind of theory. If that scene, the cable, the, the, the cable of death, if the cable of death scene was part of the flashback and that was the start of the flashback, would this have worked better by not being one thing at the start and then atmospheric? Yeah, I think had, yeah, had the intro been in the middle of the movie when they had the flashback scenes, I think it would have, it would have flowed better in a way because you're, you're, you're kicking off the movie at a hundred and then the rest of the movie kind of falls under like the 40, 50% mark. Then you have the flashbacks, which brings it up to another like high 80. And then you finish on a, on a decent note, honestly, like the, the, the flow afterwards, uh, was okay. But, uh, yeah, no, you definitely, definitely started off with the climax of the movie essentially so you know they heavily relied on on the uh exposing of who was behind everything so i would love to see someone do like a fan edit of this film where you take that opening scene and you mix it in with the flashback scene and you start the whole movie with the arctic warrior t- you know tugging that boat and epps having to patch the hole right away like if you start the film like that and then you work up to the creepy i think it, it does work better but can we can we talk for a second? Can we talk about this flashback scene? Because we need to talk about this flashback scene. <laughs> Not the insanity that's going on, because I get if you're feeding rat poison to the guests and everyone's seemingly on this cursed ship that's being used as a portal to hell. And and I'm cool with this. I'm cool with this concept. But the flashback. Now, this is Katie showing Epps what was going on. And this scene is supposed to be set in like the, what, the 50s? Maybe the 60s? Yeah, I want to I say between 55 and 65 for sure. So what the f*** is with the new metal soundtrack that's going on through all of this? Like, musically, this is so totally, like, did you get the song for free and then you decided to toss it in because, hey, it's going to be on the soundtrack? Can we not take the song from the start, like, set the tone right. If you're giving me a flashback from the 50s, don't be rocking out to new metal. I'm really happy you brought up the soundtrack because, yeah, I agree. Like, the beginning of this movie, you have this beautiful, soft Italian cover of uh, a, a, a hit of its time. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. People are, you know, it, 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 they're dancing very rich, very, everybody's in suits and dresses and jewelry and whatever. But the whole movie is nothing but metal bangers throughout 
the whole thing. <laughs> and I don't know if you thought the same thing as me at first. So when you, when we did our recent, there can only be one, uh, uh, skip shuffle, uh, Spin shuffle episode, skip. What was that band that you had? That was Gravity with? Kills. Gravity Kills. So when I was rewatching Ghost Ship before doing that episode, and then I listened to Gravity Kills, I went, wow, I wonder if they did some of the music on Ghost Ship because that debut album was giving me some of that vibe. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it wasn't them, but the soundtrack, I love that soundtrack. Like, it's crazy. But the thing is, there are parts where the soundtrack, the, like the hardness of the soundtrack works. You know, like when, when we see the 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 guy driving the ship and he's just rocking out all by himself and through the like, yeah, play some mud vein that that fits in with the character. I'm fine with this, but it's that flashback you do. Yeah. And the thing is, no one's talking. It's just this like weird new metal montage of insanity. And the music just feels so out of place. Like it feels like Katie should almost be narrating it with some like very creepy music as opposed to some new metal montage bangery. Like, yeah, I agree. I think the, the, the narrated narration version idea is definitely where they should have gone with this. Um, I, I do think that, um, the slow motion of, of it all fit very well, especially, the machine gun pull scene where everybody's getting slowly shot and screaming and stuff. That was fantastic. Uh, I can see what you mean though, by like the music feels out of place specifically for that scene. Like it, it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand if you, if you take a look at a movie like 300 and you have these, you know, Zack Snyder esque type scenes where you have a, almost a, it's not metal, but it's a very, hard kind of score to it and i think something like that could have worked in ghost ship where you could see the classical vibes in there but still in a more metal you know very creepy vein i it felt like a rocky montage gone wrong is what it felt like a modern rocky montage gone wrong and totally completely wrong there was this british comedy show British sketch comedy show called, I think it was called Big Truck. And Simon Pegg was part of it. And there's this ongoing sketch. They, they would have an editor sitting with the, the director or the producer. And they're trying to, you know, do things with this edit. And as an editor, I freaking love it. But they're showing this scene where they're, they're, they've, it's a funeral scene. And you've got the, the dad and the kid. And they're looking at the grave. And it's this very somber moment. And they're trying to pick music for it. And they're like... You know, should we go with the classical or... Oh, no, rocking around the world. Oh, studio or live? Oh, the live version. So you see these slow pans of kid, like, crying at the gravestone, and all of a sudden you get this, like, rocking, like, jazz piano type thing going on. I'm just like, I I appreciate that as an editor, but that that's what this feels like. This feels <laughs> like that gag come to life. Yeah. <laughs> You, you have people killing each other and a, a little girl dragged into a room where she's going to get hung. And what should we put in there? Oh, f- new metal banger. Let's do that. Uh. <laughs> oh, the music department needed to be changed for this film. But the funny thing is, 
this film is is actually quite good if you take some time give it a little bit more because it wasn't exactly a long film by any stretch of the imagination so you had space to draw out some of their background a little bit tell us why the sinners are getting killed and that makes apps as the final girl make a bit more sense the the pieces are there Mm -hmm. they're kind of in the wrong order but the pieces are there Mm-hmm. All it needs is a little bit of flushing out, better soundtrack during the during the montage, reorder a couple of things, and this works. Yeah, I think this is where um, the tom- tomato meter really reflects the movie properly in a way. Like I can understand seeing the low score because you know you have these plot problems, um, you have backstory problems, you have you know soundtrack problems. So I can I can understand why people would essentially say this movie is not that good because you know you you have all these I have a lot of little issues which equals that to one big issue. Um I'd like to see a remake of this honestly if they step back and really thought it out properly, you know? I mean, I want to put this into perspective because, of course, you know, the show is it's not that bad. And we're, we use the tomatometer as our you know, point of reference. Mm-hmm. Not that we put any stick in what the critics say, but it's still our point of reference. And at 15 percent, mm-hmm. it's still criminally low. And I want to put this into perspective here because Event Horizon is one of the biggest comparables that I could draw. Event Horizon has a 34 percent tomatometer and a 35% critic score, so, or Metacritic score. So the Metascore and the Tomatometer are higher than this film, and I would easily put them on equal planes, so I think 15% is much lower than it should be. Yeah. But now that we've got all that out of the way, it's time. So, Alex, who is your MVP of Ghost Ship? Uh, my MVP. Ooh, this one's going to be... One's a tough one. Hmm. I am going to pick uh, Carl's character. Oh, uh, Bet uh, Munder. Yes, I always blank out the character names because now when I know the actor, I'm like, oh yeah, Carl. Yeah, Carl. I identify with him so much, especially during the food scene. Come on now. Oh, I was watching that, and I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, the they're they're eating the beans and. Everything's like, are, at first I'm like, are they high? Because it, yeah. it felt like they were high. So maybe they smoked up off camera. We didn't know that. And that would have made sense. But then, of course, when it turns into maggots, I'm just like. <laughs> it took me a long time to eat rice after that, by the way. My my fam, my biological family is very big on rice. And after seeing that movie, I was like, yeah, I'll step away from the rice for a little bit. Give me a spaghetti or a salad instead, please. Yeah, my which. My MVP is not the larvae in their mouth. No, uh, no. I I've, I want to give a shout out to Emily Browning because, you know, also to the production for making sure that she was actually ready to be able to see that scene because apparently they made sure that she saw all the, the prep work for the, the, the cable scene so that she mm-hmm. wouldn't be creeped out and traumatized. So kudos to the production for making sure that that happened and kudos to Emily Browning for her work. But my MVP is still Julietta Margulies. Like this film isn't as good as it is without her performance. And even though she has, you know, said, nah, on this film, 
Mm-hmm. The film was still much better because of her. And that's a good thing. Alex, thank you so much for this. Now, before we go, please let our listeners know about your business venture and about everything else that you're up to. So I recently put 100% of my time and effort into my photography business. You could find me on Instagram at Photographs by AC. And if you really like music, because I really like music, you can find me on YouTube AC official music page. Yeah, be sure to follow him and check out all of his work and everything that he's putting out there. Alex, thank you so much. And to you, our listeners, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is so bad that there is no way on the ocean that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on social media at NotThatBadCast or go to our website at notthatbadcast.com. And while you're there, make sure you check out our coming soon page so you can comment on the episodes that we have coming up and check out all of your other shows while you're there. Until next time, he's Alex. I'm Jay. You guys are awesome. This is It's Not That Bad, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.